Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Advent is here, and uh, you're listening to the No Water Methodist Community Podcast, and I'm Jeffrey Rickman, the preacher here. I'm glad you've joined us. I'm glad you're going to listen to the podcast today. Um, Advent is the beginning of the Christian year. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and um, it's a time where we meditate on Christ's coming, His second coming. Uh, to bring his kingdom to earth, initiate a final judgment, followed by an eternity of peace, hopefully, that we're a part of. So um, we are rejoining the Revised Common Lectionary, which has four recommended readings, all pointing towards the reality of the final judgment and the coming kingdom. It's a sober season, and so I tried to give a sober message. I expanded out some of the readings that we're uh, kind of cutting out or ignoring a lot of the warnings that Scripture issues towards believers. A lot of people choose to forget or are not reminded by their pastors of how much is at stake and how serious this is. I'm not one of those pastors. Hopefully you're not one of those people. If you are, you're not going to enjoy this podcast because I'm trying to speak very plainly about what's coming and how we can live soberly and responsibly today. So if that's a message that interests you, then please listen, enjoy, pray, support. Um, And if it's not something that you enjoy, I just pray that God would change your heart because this stuff is all over the Bible. It's it's self-evidently important. Uh, Whatever is important to God needs to be important to us. So I hope you benefit from this time spent on our podcast, and I hope... uh, my prayer is that those of you who've been listening to this might be brought closer. Um, I never want this to have kind of like a, a calming effect where you feel like you're close enough to the church. The whole point of the church is to put people in relationship with each other. So if you are standing far back and not engaging the people here but engaging the content, I need to be very clear with you that is not good. <laughs> I mean... Uh, it's only good if if you're being brought closer to be in relationship with the people here. So I pray that God would continue to work on your heart and bring you close. Uh, and, and when that happens, you will see that I am right. The whole purpose of this faith is to draw us into connection with one another. All right, I'm going to stop talking. Uh, be blessed by today's message. And we're going to return uh, to the format of the proclamation of the word that uh, is so familiar to most of us. Um, I'm always going to urge you, even though uh, I would like to think we're trustworthy, never trust me or the readers. We are going to have readers step up uh, for the word rather than me doing the whole thing. Open up your Bibles and double check. Make sure that what we're telling you is actually what's there. It's good for you to be familiar with the Bible, where different books are in the Bible, and uh, to be able to keep it open and contemplate the words even as we're moving on. So uh, I'd invite our first reader to come forward for our first reading. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which you can find on page 984 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. 
the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So basic question, is this a happy reading, upsetting reading, sad reading? How would you characterize it? It's happy, yeah. There's a lot of good. There's a future promise, uh, prophecy uh, uh, starting in verse 2 going through verse 4. talks about how all the nations will flow unto the mountain. If you don't know this, um, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is built on top of the Temple Mount. It's actually not a very big mountain. But at the top of the Temple Mount, that's where they built the temple that worshipped the, the Lord of heaven and earth. His personal name is Yahweh. Uh, they worshipped him there. And so uh, uh, they imagined that on this, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, it's talking about the, the mountain in Jerusalem, saying it's going to be raised up above all the mountains on earth, and all the nations of the earth will come and they will flow to that temple because God is there, and they will seek his counsel and they will walk in his light. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Now, this prophecy has already started to be fulfilled because Christ came and opened up the covenant to all people, not just Jews, right? So all nations have been welcomed to be in God's presence in his house, but the fullness of this prophecy has not been made known yet. And we're going to talk about this in the psalm today. Psalm 122 talks about uh, the future destiny of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Today it's, it's still broken. The second temple was destroyed. There's now a mosque there. Uh, at the end of history it's believed that God is going to restore his temple there and that the nations will flow unto it after the final judgment. Now I thought it important since this is Advent to pick up where this leaves off. So this was on page 984 in your Bible. We switched the Bibles last night, so I didn't know where this one was. So um, here's what comes right after the portion. This talks about the day of the Lord. And this is what we're anticipating in Advent, so it just seems appropriate to keep on going. What the Revised Common Lectionary unfortunately does is it focuses on the happy parts and then not the convicting or challenging or upsetting parts. So you know me by now. Uh, I do both. So let's go on. Verse 5. Uh, this is where we left off. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob. Is forsaking a, a good thing? No. It's, it's saying you've forsaken the house of Jacob. Why? Because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers. It's saying that they didn't maintain the ways of Yahweh. Rather, they have started to fit in with other worldly cultures. 
Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. So not only have they sought to fit in with the world, they've desired worldly treasure. Of course, we're not like that at all, are we? Verse 8, their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself. Therefore, forgive them not. Who, who is he talking to? Look at verse 6. Thou hast forsaken the people of thy house, O Jacob. Of Jacob. He's talking to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, do not forgive these people. Why? They were instructed in the ways of Yahweh, and yet they've chosen the ways of the world. They've chosen to fit in with other cultures. They've chosen to pursue uh, worldly treasures. They've chosen to worship idols. Verse 10. Somebody is weeping and wailing, understanding, yes. Verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of Yahweh and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And Yahweh alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of Yahweh of hosts, the day of the Lord, shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Is anyone here ever tempted to be proud? Is anyone here ever tempted to raise yourself up as though you're someone worth, worth good things, worth paying attention to? Here, he, Isaiah, you know, we didn't feel convicted by the first part of this. Oh, there's this wonderful blessing coming, but then immediately after that, the day of the Lord is going to be a curse on a certain type of people. And so the reason I as pastor am choosing to go along is we often as, as Christians imagine ourselves receiving the blessings without being aware of the conditions placed. And here it's saying God will not forgive people who walk in this way, who live in this way. Verse 13. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all pleasant pictures. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and Yahweh alone shall be exalted in that day. We live in this weird period of history where we can worship things that aren't God. We can go through our lives putting family first, putting our jobs first, putting money first, putting sports first. We can spend all of our lives focused on things that are not God. That is not going to be the case in the future. In the future, God is going to be revealed and everybody, he's going to be the center of everybody's attention because that's what he deserves and that's who he is. He is the most glorious. It's this, we live in this weird period where people can deny seeing God, not be drawn at all to his glory. We can live our lives revolving around other things. What, what are those things called that we make our lives revolve around that aren't God's? Idols. We are just every bit as prone to idolatry as these ancient peoples that Isaiah is condemning. We do the same thing today. He's saying in the future, God alone is going to be raised up and everything that competes with him for our affections is going to be brought low, going to be destroyed, going to be humbled. Verse 18, and the idols he shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of Yahweh and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks. 
for fear of Yahweh and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? When it says cease ye, it means give up on him. Give up on other people who are alive for a moment and then die. Trust only in God is the inference here. So there's an exhortation. There's an exhortation at the beginning of the blessing, or at the end of the blessing. You remember that section we just did? Verse 5, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. That was the first exhortation. And then he threatens. He says God is going to contemn, condemn all these people. And then once again an exhortation, don't trust in other people. Do not put your faith in other people. Put your faith only in God. Do not worship anyone else. Worship only God. Which fits in line with, I mean, we've read Hundreds, thousands of other scriptures that fit in line with this just fine. We're going to move on, but I wanted, I wanted a fuller picture of what Isaiah says here. There is a promise at the end of history, and the day of the Lord is indeed going to be a beautiful day. But also, for those who have not been in faithful relationship with Yahweh, through, through scriptural instruction, for those who have prioritized fitting in with worldly cultures, building up worldly treasures, serving other idols, they, whenever Yahweh appears in the clouds of glory... Jesus appears, they are going to run and hide. They will have no, they're going to run for the rocks and the crags. They're going to hide out as best as they can. They're going to throw away their treasures. It's going to be too late. It's going to be a day of deep darkness and destruction and sadness. And so the purpose of Advent is for us to be reflecting on, am I living as I ought to live? When Christ comes again in glory, am I going to be one of those flowing up to his temple in the mountain, or am I going to be hiding out in the, the craggy places trying to escape his justice? Something worth thinking about. So in setting up the next, uh, we're going to cover Psalm 122, and that's found on page 845. And before we learn the song response, I would just read verse 2 again to what we just sang. Fling wide the portals of your heart. Make it a temple set apart. Uh, this is an exhortation to one another. Your body should be a temple to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. If you have been initiated into the covenant Christian community, if you have been justified in faith, your body is a temple to the Holy Spirit. Uh, make it a temple set apart from earthly use. For heaven's employ, adorned, that means decorated, with prayer and love and joy. That's how we're supposed to be treating our bodies. That's what our lives are supposed to look like. So Psalm 122, it's found on page 845 of your hymnal. And we're going to sing uh, response one. This is about the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, uh, the holy city in Jerusalem. So response one sounds like this. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. Sing that with me while Cody makes his way up. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. All right, we'll sing that every time we have a capital R. Let's read through this psalm with Cody. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet were standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city and is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. Thrones for judgment were set there, the thrones of the house of David. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David. 
Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May the prosperous love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. So this psalm is obviously about Jerusalem, and it begins with, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The temple was seen as the house of the Lord. Now, Christians, we're in this interesting place because the temple has been destroyed. We've been told that our bodies are a temple, like in the last uh, hymn we just sang. But also, if you've read Revelation, you know there's a lot of prophecy about the tribulation leading up to the day of the Lord that takes place around Jerusalem. And that whenever God finally destroys this world in fire, he creates a new heaven and a new earth. It's a heavenly city, Jerusalem, that comes down and we live forever in the eternal city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not something that Christians get to jettison and do away with. And one of the prayers that many Christians neglect to say in their prayer lives is a prayer for the city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem continues to be a favored city by God. Uh, I, uh, I talked to an unbeliever one time who went to Jerusalem. He, but he said, that whole city, it felt like I was walking through an electric field. The, the hairs on the back of my neck just pricked up. It's a powerful place. I haven't gotten to go yet. Has anyone, who's been to Jerusalem here? I'm counting two people. Is that it? We need to take a group field trip, don't you think? Let's just charter a plane and go. We need to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get to go. I've got these four kids to take care of. But man, Jerusalem uh, is going to be at the center at the, of the end of history. We need to pray for Jerusalem. Jerusalem continues to be beset by powers and principalities. Uh, but I have no doubt that when those last days come, all eyes will be directed to the mountain of the Lord in Jerusalem. Anything else to say before we move on to our next reading? Okay, I'd welcome our, our third reader forward. Our third reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, which you can find on page 1599 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hopefully that's familiar to you. Uh, we, I was preaching through that whole chapter about five weeks ago maybe six or seven. Romans just made a, a big mark on me. I really enjoy how much time we were able to spend on that. Here, this, this passage is so direct. It just has a series of, man, I, I really like it. And I know that 
I know that the faith of Jesus Christ is not about a bunch of check marks. You know, do all these good things, do all these bad things, and you, or don't do all these bad things, and you'll, you'll get into heaven. That's not how the faith works. The only thing that makes us worthy of, of uh, a place in heaven is when we give up on ourselves, repent, and receive that faith of Jesus Christ, walk in, in the light of Christ. But what does that look like? How do we know if we have really given up on ourselves? Is there any kind of fruit that we're expected to bear in our lives? Yeah, and scriptures like this are so helpful. You have all the do-nots and some of the do. There, there are a lot more do-nots usually than do's. Here are all the do-nots I counted in this one. Cast off the works of darkness, no rioting, no drunkenness, no chambering, no wantonness, no strife, no envying, and make no provision for the flesh. So the first and last ones were pretty broad, and then it had specific ones that are all focused on the lusts of the flesh. The flesh wants to get drunk. The flesh wants to run around uh, in a sexual way. The, the, the flesh wants to, uh, has lusts that want to be fulfilled in, in drinking and eating and debauchery, and it says, do not give in to that. We were just now talking about how the body is a temple of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit. And some people take that to mean whatever desires my body has are good and I need to satisfy them. That is the opposite of the biblical message. The biblical message says when you receive the Holy Spirit, it gives you different desires. It changes your desires. It takes your, your natural desires away and gives you supernatural desires. So what are the things that it tells us to do in this? Put on the armor of light. Walk honestly. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, it talked about putting on armor, and then it says, because it's the same thing, put on Jesus like he is a robe that you can put on. You ever notice in Revelation when people receive salvation, they're given robes? White robes that were cleansed in the blood of the Lamb? Does blood make things white? No, but Jesus' blood does. Jesus' blood applied to our hearts removes sin, purifies us. And so what this is saying is, give up on yourselves. Don't give in to your natural desires, your lusts, Rather, put on Jesus Christ and his identity will seep into you and change you. That process is called sanctification. And it's what happens for all true believers. Why is he telling us to do that? It says, knowing that the time, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. And because of that, this is how we're going to live. The implication here is there is a judgment coming. And we need to live right so that when it comes, we are found faithful rather than faithless. And there are many scriptures in the Old and New Testament. We just read one from the Old Testament that condemns those who live faithless lives. We live in a very confused age, in a very confused culture. In Isaiah, it was condemning people who give in to the culture, right? You remember that passage? The culture around us says... All of our bodily desires are good. In fact, you can even define your innermost identity with what kind of people you desire. The culture of Jesus Christ says, nope, our desires are bad. They need to be brought into alignment with Christ Jesus or done away with entirely. Otherwise, they will condemn us. Our, the Bible could not be further away from our culture in that way. There are some ways that the culture is not at odds with us. That is a way that our culture is at odds with us. It says, you're born with this body. It has natural desires. You should give in to them. You should be proud of them. We will affirm you in them. The Bible says, no, no affirmation here. We will convict you of your sin. We will uh, divorce you from your old nature and give you a new nature. 
of light and goodness. And those who compose the church are those who have given up on themselves, who have turned their back on the darkness, who are now putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, putting on the armor of light, walking honestly. And walking honestly doesn't just mean not lying to people. It means not lying to yourself. It means not putting off till tomorrow what should be done today. It means not pretending that we're confused when really the truth is very clear. We often make things much more complicated than they need to be. Do we want to be saved or not? Do you want to be with Christ for all eternity? Do you want to have a heavenly body in the presence of the Lord Jesus for all eternity along the, alongside the saints of glory? Do you want that? Because if so, we have been told how to live. We've been told exactly what to do, and we've been warned against all the things that stand between us and that. And we've been told none of these things, none of these things, none of these temptations are powerful enough to take us from the love of Christ. We just said that at the beginning of worship, didn't we? We had that affirmation of faith. None of these things, once you have been set free in Christ Jesus, you are no longer a slave to any of them. They will make bids for your attention and affection, and you can choose to let them have power over you, but they cannot take you from Jesus. They only have as much power as you let them have. And when you renounce the darkness and you walk in the light of Jesus, Satan flees from you. And so if you want that power, it's been stated so clearly, here's how we ought to live. And we need to have that integrity to stand against the culture, to renounce spiritual, uh, worldly wealth, and to renounce anything that stands between us and Christ Jesus. And if that makes us look crazy, if that makes us not fit in, is the price worth it? Absolutely. And we have to have that clarity. That's what walking honestly is. It's no longer participating in the lies that really this is very complicated and, you know, it takes a lot of spiritual discernment. Some things do, but salvation, this, is, this has been made simple, clear, black and white, easy for us to understand. Let's not pretend otherwise. Let's sing another hymn and then we'll read our final reading. Our uh, next is uh, number 203, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Y'all remember what the Greek word for anointed is? Anointed one? Christos. Yeah, that's where we get the word Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. An anointed one is one who's been designated by God uh, to fulfill a duty. Jesus' duty is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Um, so this is the tune that we were just singing with the psalm, only it goes on a bit longer. So let's, let's sing together. All right, our uh, final reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. It's on page 1380 of your pew Bibles. And once again, the Revised Common Lectionary cuts us off at uh, a hard point, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the hard point. So um, this is Matthew 24, verse 36. Listen to the word of the Lord. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He's talking about the coming of the day of the Lord. He's talking about the final judgment. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows when it's going to be, not the angels. He says, the Son of Man is Jesus. He says, I don't even know him. He's talking about himself in the third person. <clears throat> Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall all the, also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's spelled N-O-E here, but he's talking about Noah. Remember Noah and the flood? Remember that? saying people had no idea the flood was coming till it was too late. He's saying that's how the day of the Lord is going to be. Verse 38, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. The whole point of that is they were just going about life as usual 
until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then, on that future day, shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore. Watch means be vigilant. Watch out. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered the house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. That's saying you can't anticipate it. You can't see it coming. He's going to come when you don't expect so before we talk about that, let's just go on a little bit further. Verse 45. This is not going to be projected. That's, this is not part of the official reading this week. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. He's saying, pretend we're talking about a household. Pretend the world is a household. God has given certain uh, tasks, duties, as a master to his servants. And he says, if he comes back and he finds the servants working, that's good for that servant. He will be rewarded. Verse 47, Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth in his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder. Asunder means apart. And appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is oh, when you're in such pain and anger. You're in a place of pain and gnashing of teeth if the Lord returns and finds you not working. Why do you think this is written down? How's this supposed to make us feel? Bad. It's just supposed to beat us up and make us feel bad. Joe and I were talking earlier this week about um, negative emotions and the purpose that they serve. Do you all know anybody who um, starts feeling bad about themselves and then they just spin out and they give up and they just they don't do well with bad feelings? I know nobody here is like that. But, um, you know, some people, if they realize they're bad at something, they just give up. Or if they realize they're, they're wrong, they just get bitter and they slam the door. You know, That's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who learn not just from uh, the good stuff, not just from the pleasant stuff, but from the bad stuff too. The scriptures make us feel bad a lot. And it's not because God is a, uh, is it a sadist or a masochist? Yeah, he's not a sadistic God. He doesn't just love hurting us. He is a loving physician that sometimes has to reset our arm in order for it to heal correctly. The Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. But we're not going to be disciplined if we don't know what's at stake. If we think that God, you know, here's how pagans look at, if they believe in a final judgment, they believe that God has like a tally sheet. And on one side he has Jeffrey's good deeds. Oh, he gets three credits for this one. Oh, he did a bad deed, only one bad. And at the end of history he looks, oh, Jeffrey did more good than bad, so he gets into heaven. Is that how it works? That is not what you find in the Bible. What you find in the Bible is all of us default or unworthy of the kingdom because we're born in wretched unholiness. It doesn't matter how much good we do, there is nothing we can ever do to put God in our debt. 
There is no way that we can earn our salvation as though some of us are better than others. Some of us are just holier and better. We've, you know, we've really tried. Other people, oh, they deserve hell. Oh, I, I don't. I'm really a holy, a better person than them, really. That's, that's, not, that's not real. We are all bad. We are all unworthy of God's love. God, who is love, showers his love, mercy, grace upon us. And then there are those who just live in response to that, and then there are those of us who deny it. If you live in response to it, you put on the armor of light. It's what Romans was talking about. We live humbly so that God doesn't have to humble us on that last day. We serve others. We pour ourselves out for others because that's, Christ, that's how Christ lived for us and died for us, right? We mirror that to the world. But if we go through life talking about what I deserve and do it in what I want and what feels good for my body and what makes sense to my mind, then the kingdom has not been designated for us. There are people, you know, I was reading a Vody Bauckham quote this morning. I was flipping through and uh, says, uh, in, heaven, in hell there are a lot of people who went to church every Sunday and tithed and sung hymns and read their Bibles. And he says, you know why that is? It's because none of those things purchase your place in heaven. There's only one thing that purchases your place in heaven. It's what Christ did on the cross and then the faith he gives us in that. And we either walk in that, establishing Christ as the center of our lives, or we walk in something else. The ruler of the power of the air, that's what Satan is called in Ephesians. This world, for a time, has been given over to him. He is the goodman of the house, to use this metaphor. Jesus says, if the goodman of the house knew what hour the thief was coming then he would be ready and he would fight off the thief. Jesus, in this metaphor, is the holy thief who comes and raids Satan's house. He takes all the goods from out of it. And you and I are hoping we're the goods. But if we're the goods, that means we walk in the light of the Lord. And we don't put it off till tomorrow because he could be coming today. That's why this passage was written. This passage makes us feel bad because we're often putting off till tomorrow what we should be doing today. And we're running it and we're saying, oh, I'm still giving into this sin. Oh, I'll, I'll deal with it later. You might not have later. I might not have later. He might, he could come right now. Is your household in order? This is what our minds are supposed to be reflecting on. We're not supposed to be going, oh, I have to be holy all the time. I don't know if I can do that. Actually, let's go down that road. Can you on your own be as holy as Christ requires? I had that phrase in there, on your own, so you knew what to do, right? But what about if the Holy Spirit is real and he is in you? What then? Can God make you holy? That's where we have to be very clear. The scriptural standard is high, but God's Holy Spirit is even higher. God is able. It's not a question of what am I able to do. The question is, and it's not a question, what's God able to do? And he's able to do what he has promised. Amen? Let's sing our final uh, hymn. We haven't sung this before, I don't think. Have we sung it, JC? If we have, it was before I came. I really haven't liked it because it's kind of hippy-dippy. I wish it said the name of Jesus in it. Um, but it's really a good one because uh, it's called People Look East. And traditionally, Christians have understood that when Christ appears on the clouds of glory, he's going to appear from the east. And so that's why throughout the Western world, if you ever go to a, a graveyard, the, the bodies are buried facing east so they can rise out of the ground to meet Christ in the east. Did you all know this? Fun little fact. There are three exceptions, and all the people in those graveyards are going to hell, right? 
So that was a bad joke. I shouldn't have made that joke. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, we don't necessarily literally believe that, but it's just a belief that Christians carry to make it very real. One of the day, one day we're going to look up in the sky and we are going to see Jesus. And at that point, it's going to be too late. So this hymn is uh, saying, hey, everybody, all Christians, let's look east. Let's anticipate the coming day of the Lord. We don't know when it's going to be, but this hymn is, is encouraging one another to get our houses in order. So what I'm going to do, how about I sing verse 1. If you've heard it before, you'll be like, oh, yeah. And if you haven't heard it before, you'll just learn it. At verse 2, everybody stand and sing with me, and then we'll dismiss. Thank you. 